Hello, and welcome to episode number 96 of the Makers.dev podcast. Chris, 96 is the name of a town in Greenwood County of only 1.5 square miles and just under 2,000 inhabitants. It was probably named because it lies between six creeks unexpectedly running south away from the Saluda River and nine creeks running south away from the Savannah River. It has zip code 29666. Can you tell me which U.S. state uh, 96 is in? Uh, Savannah River sounds like Georgia, but I don't know. It is not Georgia, but that's close, I think. It's South Carolina. Okay. Yeah. That, yes. <laughs> Close-ish. Close-ish. Yeah. Partial credit. <laughs> you, get, <laughs> you get the remaining 4% of points after you subtract 96 from 100. Uh, how's, how's it going? Uh, it's going all right. Uh, this is week, uh, the start of week three and my job at Google, um, and I am slowly learning what i'm actually supposed to be doing so that's good uh, it lines up with what i thought so that's good um i think i will enjoy it um but it you know takes a while to kind of get into it um and like part of my job is just knowing everything that's going on and that's going to take a year you know i don't know, like it's going to yeah. take a while so um i will feel uh, something that has been brought up over and over is like you're always going to feel like there's just too much information and so part of working at a big company is figuring out how to whittle that down into mm -hmm. what you're supposed to know and know it so that's what i'm doing i got a little bit of an update uh before we started the podcast and uh i'm it it, it feels frustrating to me that we can't like dig into it and i totally understand why but uh a safe question to ask publicly on the podcast is how you're feeling about it how <laughs> week two at google uh oh oh week two hold on every two weeks you get a paycheck has that come in i, I got a paycheck yes ah! <laughs> was it was it amazing uh, it was actually sort of small because um uh it wasn't a full two weeks and um i'm trying to get in so they match 401k which is great and this year i've only had a full-time job for three months so i'm trying to get into the roth 401k and so i'm yeah, putting okay. a lot of my paycheck into the roth 401k so i can maximize it before the end of the year uh, so it was actually disappointingly small but a lot of it's going okay. into a retirement account <laughs> so okay i guess yes. the impressive part would be how much your roth has uh, has increased in value that's that's pretty cool yeah yeah so anyway yeah i got paycheck it was nice cool uh how are you feeling about this overall week two probably still too early to know what the day-to-day -day is gonna look like but yeah how's, yeah how's i'm i'm still um still sort of like training and doing orientation kind of stuff that's gonna take a while i uh but i've also been meeting the team and i've been you know sort of defining my role a little bit um um and so yeah so far it, it feels pretty good like it's not it's definitely a switch from what i was doing mm -hmm. before because it's a big company it is way less coding than i'm used to um, i knew that going in right developer relations it, it's a developer relations engineer so there is some coding like um mm -hmm. keeping up libraries and stuff like that um but it's also like just talking to people and understanding what people are trying to do with the api and um understanding what engineering is doing you know so um yeah so i think it'll be good yeah it's, it's a good change of pace um so I'm happy about that, even though it's very different than what I thought I was going to be doing, you know, even six mm. months ago. Yeah. Do you, what, what did you think you were going to be doing six months ago? Oh, uh, I didn't think I was going to have a full-time job, you know, <laughs> like, so six oh, months yes. ago. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I was still sure. thinking. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, for sure. Uh, you didn't think your Roth IRA would be increasing quite so <laughs> right. rapidly. <laughs> right. Uh, neat. So this, this brings up an interesting question, which is like, what do you want to talk about in the future on this podcast? Yes. <laughs> if you're going to be working on secret Google projects. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Generally, like I can't talk about much, like 
everything I just talked about is fine because it's either public knowledge or how I'm feeling or, you know, like part of the job description, which is also public. So I can talk about all that, right, obviously, but not projects I'm doing or who I'm talking to or anything like that. So mm-hmm. what do I want to talk about is a good question. I, I thought one of my thoughts was I could come up with like a SaaS topic every week mm-hmm. and talk about it. Um, but I mentioned to you that that means preparation, which the whole point of this podcast was to do no preparation. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I am perfectly happy talking about all of your stuff and giving you know my comments about that um and yeah in the future if there are any updates uh about anything i can talk about i'll talk about those too but what what would you like me to talk about on this podcast i'm fine just talking more about me <laughs> that sounds cool. good let's, yeah let's make this the christian the christian hour yeah sure the christian hour <laughs> people are gonna get sick of uh hearing about my life um yeah i don't know i think i think i'd be curious uh like after getting through this training period, um, once you start having more bandwidth to, to do outside projects, if if that is uh, the, the balance of work that you want to do, if you start doing Kaggle stuff, I uh, love talking about that, or um, if you want to be working on Acorn Chat at the same time. But I think I think in this period of getting onboarded to Google, it makes perfect sense to just be devoting yourself entirely to that and get up to, to uh, speed and learn how all their internal processes work and uh, how you're going to be working in the organization. And then once you get to a point where you feel comfortable uh, doing outside things, then then we can start talking about the outside things. Yep, that sounds good. Um, and I've already started a little bit, like I said, uh, I'm doing that cow competition about gravi- gravity waves, which is pretty cool. I finally got that working a little bit. Yeah, uh, cool. Um, I also, in my current case studies in machine learning master's class, I have to like do a report about basically any machine learning topic. And I was like, what am I going to do it on? And I didn't think I could, do it on an open Kaggle project because like you're not allowed to share data uh, or yeah. code outside. And I was like, wait, if I just publicly release everything I'm going to put in my paper on Kaggle discussion boards, then I can do it about that. So that's what yeah, I'm doing. Yeah. Uh, I'm, so I'm working on the gravity gravitational wave project and then writing a paper about it. Um, so I'm doing all that. Yeah. Um, we can also talk about a sort of interesting AI side project, which I might be doing a little bit of work on. Uh, you want to talk about that now? Yeah, sure. Do, do you want to introduce it a little bit? So it's Go ahead. Th- this is a friend of mine who had an idea for a project that probably involves AI. It it has to do with medical diagnostics in in a specific uh, uh, application of it. And the the general problem is like you you would type into the system a description of the thing that you're looking at. Uh, so think like yeah, sort of analogous to if you, if you had a patient in front of you. You might type in, ah, they have a stuffy nose and they have a sore throat. Uh, and then the system would come back to you with a sort of diagnosis of like, ah, have you considered that they have COVID <laughs> or, or the flu? Uh, and then it, it would it, it would be a tool to like help you narrow down that, that diagnosis. Um, and I should have talked with this person before this podcast because I could have given more details. But that's that's like the, the level of the problem that we're that we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. T- to be clear, that's not actually the problem, but that is close enough to the actual problem that that makes sense. Yeah. Yes. Um, but yeah. you brought up a good point, so yeah, uh, that I can talk about. So, what's your, what was your question? I was talking with Sarah about this, and she, had <laughs> I, I'm surprised this didn't come to me uh, myself. But she was like, "Why do you need AI for that? Like, that just sounds like a, a database of okay. Here are all the different uh, uh, diagnoses that this person could have." And here are the criteria for each of those things. So a row of the database would be like, ah, COVID. Okay, COVID includes the following symptoms. Stuffy nose will be true, and sore throat will be true, and 
uh, uh, loss of smell will be true. Um, and that's not always the case with COVID, but this, this is a much more simple application of it that it feels like it probably could be done with a lookup table. Uh, so I'm, I'm not sure how much you know about the problem. I know you, you talked with this person about what the, what the problem would be. We're being very secretive on this podcast. <laughs> it's turning into just like <laughs> abstracting away of like what the actual, pro- we could dig into to actual stuff, what it, what it could just be, uh. <laughs> when I'm I'm talking about filing box stuff, but, uh, what, uh, I think I'm just curious on, on what your take is of like, is this is this an AI problem or is it just a database lookup problem and how might you tell? Yeah, so I had two general thoughts, and the first is it may not be an AI problem. In fact, any problem that you're about to do with AI, one of the first things that you should do is the simplest possible thing that you think might work. Um, so that might be like. A database and a lookup table it might be a linear regression which is you know super easy taught in high school um it might be you know just some basic rules right some like handwritten rules um and you should always do that to get a baseline for your problem um, one it helps you understand your problem better um so like if you write basic rules for it like you will as a person will have to look at the data very closely which is always a good idea um so yeah so that's the first thing is to get a baseline that and maybe it is true that your baseline is good enough. Um, the second part of that is after you're pretty sure that a baseline, you, you have a baseline is maybe not good enough or you think AI can do something more. Uh, one reason, like in cases like this, why it might be better, uh, machine learning in general, is it can look at like 100,000 data points and draw correlations that maybe you can't see as a human. So, mm. you know, like as a human, maybe you're going to look at a few hundred data points and try to make rules or something like that. Um, but it, with a lot of these models, it's true that once you get to, you know, past a few thousand, you know, to hundred thousand and even millions of examples, there's correlations that you can possibly have connected with handwritten rules. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, so those, those are the two things is yes, you should get a non AI baseline. And then the second is you you don't know if that's better or not until you actually do the experiment. So do the experiment and and see, basically. I like that. I, th- I think one of my takeaways from that is if you can define all of the features that lead to the result, you don't need AI. But if there's emergent right. features of it, if, there, if there's some trait of like, uh, if the person's wearing an orange shirt, it turns out that that's actually a really high predictor of that they have COVID because when you have COVID, it makes the color orange so much more revealing to you. Uh, or, or you don't do laundry because you're sick, so only your orange shirts are, are left. Um, AI would be able to to surface those higher level abstractions and other techniques wouldn't be able to do that. Okay, so I, I think the next step for this project would be uh, try to first just make the database try to try to establish the baseline of if you just do a lookup table or if you just do a linear regression um, which you can can you do that in n dimensions if you have like features and mm-hmm. you want to say like if they have three of the following five features or something yep. and see how yep. close it is okay yeah 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 okay so I think that's the next step and then we'll see if that's good enough we could just go forward with that and if not uh, we could bring out some spicy AI and then I'll need a whole lot of your help because I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I read that one book on TensorFlow.js and uh, that's it. <laughs> I think this yep. will be a, a fun project. Yeah, uh, which brings up another point, which is now that I'm at Google, I have to worry about their IP clause contract. Uh, and so yeah. I actually can't do any work on this project. I'm not I'm not going to do any real work on it. Um, I'm happy to point to tutorials and I'm happy to do all this stuff. But yeah, I, like now I have to think about if it gets to the point where I'm actually writing code for someone mm. else, I need to 
either be convinced that it won't be a problem or mm. get Google to say it's not a problem before I do it, um, yeah. which is something I haven't had to think about before and, you know, kind of stinks about working at a big company. But um, yeah. yeah, I mean, they're not the only big company that does this. They all do that. But um, yeah, it's kind of annoying. Yeah. But you're getting paid very well for the, the annoyance. Of having yep. a, yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, I'd love to talk about gravitational waves. Uh, if, if you're applying the sure. same sort of process to this as you were the GPS competition, I imagine you know a lot more about gravitational waves now. Uh, what's the scoop? Tell me about gravity. Yeah. So uh, gravitational waves are... Um, I, Okay, I don't know that much yet, uh, okay. so I will I'll tell you what I do know. Um, they did a different gravity waves experiment before, which are like, I think that was when like uh, when two black holes like go into each other real fast, mm. and that's what they've already detected because it's like a huge uh, amount of energy and it's very it's short bursts. What this is looking at is continuous gravitational waves, which are like if two neutron stars are circling each other for like mm. like millennia, you know, or whatever. Um, and they never like fall into each other, then there is a lot of energy, a lot of gravity energy, because you have this circling neutron stars or black holes, but not as much as when they collapse into each other. So it's mm -hmm. a long running wave of a very consistent frequency or relatively consistent frequency, um, but the signal is much, much less. And so it's really difficult, even though you have this long running continuous wave, because you have noise on these detectors, right? Mm -hmm. And so you have to find a very, a weak signal among all this noise hmm. um, and so actually they haven't detected these yet these are uh, theoretical as far as i understand and so this is all simulated data um, so they have they have real noise from there's two detectors i guess that they are running on they have real noise but simulated data on top of that noise hmm. um, so that's pretty interesting i think um, yeah and you're the thing you're the thing you're trying to measure is waves in space-time yeah which would happen if there's this huge cataclysmic event like like two black holes smashing into each other that's going to create mm -hmm. waves in space-time uh right. and and it was observed when these two black holes collided that, that there yeah. were these waves yeah so the two black holes collapsing into each other that's been observed because that yeah. is like you know call that like if that has an energy level of like a thousand yeah. um but if you just have two black holes circling each other yeah then that might have an energy level of like two right okay. compared like it might be a thousand times less i actually don't know what the magnitudes are but it's much much less and so you theoretically can detect these like say neutron stars or black holes circling each other in the same mm -hmm. way it's just the the signal is much much lower gotcha okay that makes how sense. interesting and that i guess that the two black holes circling each other would be like a rhythmic pulsing exactly like a okay cool um and i remember talking about this a little bit last time that the way that they're measuring this is by timing the speed of light over a really long known distance and then presumably if space-time gets stretched or compressed the time it takes for light to bounce back and forth that known distance will uh stretch and, and condense is that right that is my understanding of how they did the two black holes collapsing into each other uh, I actually haven't looked up to see if that's the same thing that these two detectors are looking at, but I think okay. so. I, th I think that's what it is. Yeah. I, had a, I had a thought on that, which is like, I think, wouldn't you have to have detectors on different axes? Like you'd have to have them going in different directions because if it's, if it's parallel to the wave propagation, you wouldn't be able to tell. Yes. Yes. I think it goes, I, th 
I should probably look all this up. Maybe maybe we should have a gravitational <laughs> wave uh, series next time. Um, but I think it's I think it's like well I think it's like uh, ninety degree angles. So they have like one okay. pulse going this way, and it probably uses mirrors to reflect and go the other way as well and comes back to the detector. Okay, okay. That's my guess. That makes sense. It'd be cool if we were doing that up in space because then it's a really long distance and presumably there's not a lot of well I guess then you have to go through the atmosphere so the atmosphere would be kind of well no okay no, I you, think what you, you would want your, is. You, just entirely in space yes you put the whole thing in space yeah with two yeah, satellites yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. is that what they do uh no it's all okay. it's on earth yeah okay yeah yeah satellites just oh that'd be really cool <laughs> or like a satellite between between here and the moon or something but then i guess that's only one axis and you can't control which axis that's on yeah i would want like a network of satellites that are just pinging each other back and forth and yeah oh cool <laughs> space um so what's the uh I assume this is just a, a standard CAGO competition. Um, what's yep. the timeline of it? When do you need to have your results? Uh, like first, the, it's like January 3rd or something is the final date. Yeah. Comfy. Um, yeah, it's good. Like two months or something. But my paper is due December 5th. So I need 10 pages written up by of what I've tried so far by December 5th. I see, I see. And you need to publish everything that you're doing for the competition. So is this... Uh, I, I imagine that puts you at a disadvantage in the competition because then everyone else can be copying from your work. So yes, technically, but uh, nothing in about the paper uh, says that I have to publish my best work. You know, like uh, okay. <laughs> the, the paper is comparing machine learning methods, and so I outlined three machine learning, like very diff, different types of machine learning methods I'm going to try. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the paper is more about getting a good baseline and comparing it, whereas. Kaggle is more like how can you eke out every little last bit of of accuracy, which is yeah, it's actually not sense. great for an academic paper because it's very specific usually to that case. So for an academic paper, it's going to be more like get a baseline um, and then talk about that baseline. Which yep. yeah, cool. Yep. Okay. Cool. I love that you're double dipping. Also, like putting yeah. work into this thing that could get you another gold medal on Kaggle and also uh, doing the paper. Uh, I thought in the past there, there might have been a other like older project that you'd already done that you could do for the uh paper for the masters yeah so we talked about that a little that was the snow competition one and i actually already wrote a significant paper or like write up for that competition um mm. I, I looked at that again and it doesn't really answer the questions that the paper is like asking of you mm. so i felt like i like i could have reused that work but it would have been a significant amount of work anyway and so mm-hmm. if i was going to do a significant amount of work anyway then i want to do it on a new project so that makes sense yeah. yeah and then you can have fun with a fun new project and learn about gravitational waves yeah i like it i have three main things that i'd like to talk with you about today first is clipstar marketing i worked a bunch on that I have a exciting couple of updates and then cool. next is file inbox and then the third is the retreat that I'm leaving for in two days on Wednesday. All right. So uh, first thing on Clips to Marketing, I worked for 16 hours and 20 minutes, which is unusually long for a single project for That's me. Um, yeah. And I just totally remade the entire clipping interface. Uh, I made it look much more like a very simple video editor. I figured out how to do a timeline on the bottom, which was mm. really complicated. It's to, to make it like in divs and HTML and JavaScript and uh, a very, very clever, <laughs> but lots of like hovering things and lots of paying attention to like mouse movements. And um, you can make clips now on the timeline and drag 
their start and end times, just like on a traditional video editor timeline. Uh, so I have that on the bottom and then I have the video in the upper left and then I have uh, the clips right below the video and then I have the transcript on the right and I can sync my clips between all the, because it's just all React components, I can sync the clips between the timeline and the transcript so I can highlight them in the same color. So you can see the same clip in the transcript and the words that are said and you can see that clip in the timeline and then you can see more metadata about the clip and the title and stuff uh, on the nice. left side. So uh, yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense to me and it feels good and uh, feels very intuitive and uh, I've been tweeting more about that and getting more people involved with it and uh, I like it. I did, however, have a little bit of a slump last week because after I finished all this, I, I got it to the point where you could take any YouTube video and stick the YouTube uh, link in and then get dropped into this clipping interface and it just worked immediately because it's just running off of the, the YouTube video. And then you could mark clips and you could see it in the timeline and you could see it in the transcript. And I sent this to a potential customer that I had interviewed that I had done the mom test on. And I was like, oh man, I know exactly what this person needs to, to be useful. <laughs> they need this interface where they can just make the clips because then the person they have who's uh, currently like writing down the timestamps of the interesting clips and writing titles for it, instead of their end result being this document of text that has these timestamps and descriptions, their end result can be the actual clips uh, that, that then uh, the YouTuber can preview and then send to their video editor. And when I sent this product to the customer that I'd interviewed, the YouTuber, uh, she was like, oh, cool, but uh, not not what I need yet. So <laughs> let me know when it can actually like do other stuff. Oops. And I had another interaction like that also. I, I had a new customer call and I was uh, showing him what I was doing. And he was like, yeah, well, I, this is really cool, but like I'm not doing a ton of clipping. And uh, But you know, if I could do these things, that'd be really cool. And I was like, oh, okay. So I felt just a little discouraged of like, I I've lost a little bit of confidence that I'm that I have a minimal feature set that's actually useful. So I, I am still interested in building this like just for myself. I'd love to be publishing more clips of this podcast and I have a clear picture of what would need to be done to, to be doing that. Um, and I'm working with Brian uh, on his backlog of videos for WP sessions, the, the WordPress conference that he's run to get those clips out. So like I still have a handle on what a useful thing in this is. And I have a lot of market uh, evidence of like uh, Subly is a site that just does the the burning in of captions. And that's going to be one of the features of clips.marketing and like veed.io, this online video editor, a lot of what they do is involved in clipping and making things for social media. Uh, but it does feel a little discouraging that I thought I thought I had a customer in the bag of like, oh, I made this minimal thing. It's this nice little stair step and a useful process, but it turns out they actually don't need it uh, in the way that it currently is. So that didn't feel good, but uh, the, the product looks really cool. Oh, transcripts also. I can pull YouTube transcripts in this very cheeky way that's probably going to get broken, but uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> and it's it's word accurate transcripts from, from YouTube. Uh, and that just gets pulled in like really quickly and doesn't cost me anything. So I have this, I have this dream of this product that you can use freemium. Like you just paste in the YouTube uh, URL and then you can make your clips and uh, it shows you a preview of what the thing is. And then when you sign up for an account, I'll render you the clip, but it's watermarked. And that's the only point that it's actually costing me any money because that's that's when I would download the video and, and do the clip. Um, and then if you want to remove the watermark or do uh, uh, more white labeling and stuff, then you need to pay me money. So that that feels really smooth. Uh, so that's that's where that is. What are your thoughts? Um, at, at 
I understand entirely why it feels uh, bad to have that happen. Uh, but let me try to reframe it as a good thing. Um, like you did the thing, right? You you made something that you thought was going to work, and you had a customer conversation, and they were like, uh, "No, actually, it's this other thing." And uh, now you get to go do the other thing if you want. Um, that's way better than you building this thing for months and months and months and then releasing it and just no one signing up right yeah like, true now you have someone who talked to you and now you know exactly what they said and you go back to them and they'll probably say again oh actually i didn't quite mean that that way uh yeah yeah <laughs> it's this other way um which is which is why like fast iteration is so important because you just want to put the minimal amount of thing together that you think they could respond to and then they respond to it and then you do that as many times as as they are you know but willing to do it basically with you um yeah. and that's how you build good products i think so yeah like uh yes i'm sure it feels bad to have them be like no actually i don't want this thing uh but i think you can reframe it as a as a good thing yeah that's helpful thank you that does feel better yeah because what the alternative to this would have been i just have a longer development cycle and then I feel so much worse because I put so much more work into yeah. it. Like as it was, this was uh, the the better part of a week of work, and is still leading towards what I think is the useful thing. Like this is still on the right track. Hold on one second. That I, I hear <laughs> our, our cat. cat is uh, yeah <laughs> not happy because the door is closed. I'll, I'll be right back. All right. Cats really don't like boundaries. Yeah, like I, doing their own thing. Yep, they do like doing their own thing. Uh, I like kind of like, like kids. SAS founders. <laughs> oh, kids. SAS founders. Yeah. <laughs> SAS founders are like kids and cats. Um, <laughs> yeah, so like I, I'm, I am still going towards this this useful thing, um, and it is kind of a, a risk of work. Of I might be building someone that something that uh, no one actually wants, but I want it so yeah. <laughs> there <laughs> and this is still sort of i'm mentally framing it as a as a side project from file inbox um this is still like a a bet that i'm making that uh there is going to be a market here and i feel like yeah um yeah as long as i'm just doing smaller iterations and like showing people frequently and uh oh there was one more thing i, I filmed a video of it and i i had in my head that like oh man this video is going to do so well and it's going to get hundreds of people to look at it that i'm going to get so many users and i put the video out and it got like I, th I think it's at like 50 or, or 100 uh, watches. And I think from that, I had maybe 10 people like uh, uh, put in a YouTube video and, and clip it. Um, and I had one person comment back like, okay, but how do I actually get the clip? And I was like, oh, you can't do that yet. You can just mark it online. Uh, so that, that sort of felt bad of like, I wanted more interactions with that video. But uh, I think it's, it's just not at the point yet where it's a useful thing, like to be able to mark clips and not do anything else with it like i wouldn't use that yet because i don't <laughs> i don't need to do that like i yeah. i want to render the actual clip so yeah i think i think it was a good exercise uh and i think i'm still summarizing summarizing all of this rambling i'm i'm checking in more frequently with people and i think that's a good thing um so thank you for the reframing and that that does feel better yeah um a couple other things I could say about that, which is, so Jason Cohen has his uh, amazing talk about at a microconf about how to build a, what is it, how to build a cash machine business or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, how to build a bootstrap SaaS business. And he said, when he started WP Engine, he 
had like i don't know forty thousand people on a mailing list or something um like his general mailing list and he uh emailed them all and he got two customers <laughs> and so wow i like, don't forty thousand yeah. i'd be so like i'd be devastated something it was something like that maybe it's twenty thousand or i don't know what it was but uh and he talked to um i can't remember who he talked to someone else who had a big audience and he said uh no it's always like that just move on and <laughs> <laughs> so yeah don't don't expect your general you know twitter audience to uh to convert i think is the his thing and you just move on and try the next thing um so there you go there's one thing um and the second is uh yeah it was a good exercise and uh, you also we're gonna talk about this later but i think this gives you a lot more data for the conference you're about to go to um it's a a, quite a different story than uh i think what you had even last week so i i think that is good for for that as well so yeah you just as you go on you learn more things and you're able to get better feedback yep that's the game learn more about the world and you know if i'm making an analogy to like hiking up a mountain or something i want to be constantly checking in with like okay where am i on the map and like where where have i gone and okay i made a step and is that step in the right place that of the place where i thought the step was i don't want to like you know close my eyes and walk for 100 yards and open my (laughs) eyes again like i want to keep checking in uh, as much as i can like talking to customers and that sort of thing it's it's just the traction model it's just like you you do marketing and coding at the same time and i think i'm uh, okay i i think i'm getting used to that model i think is is what this is it's it it was weird for me to check in so frequently with like a half-baked product that doesn't do the full thing so this is good i do want to be checking in more frequently i do want to be i i do want more interactions where it's like i'm showing people a thing and they're like oh not quite or not quite yet um because that that's letting me know that I'm checking in frequently enough. Um, yeah, cool. not, not just that. So uh, this is not a high growth, uh, you know, venture back SaaS, but Paul mm-hmm. Graham's advice for them is like, get a customer that you can re- check in with as frequently as possible every day if you can. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you, you show them something in the morning, they say not quite, you mm-hmm. work all day, you push it, and then you show them the next morning what you, what you did. Um, you're not at that level, I think. You don't have to be that intense. Uh, sure. But, but yeah check in as frequently as as they will you know tolerate basically yeah yeah i am onboarding someone on this actually tomorrow uh brian's assistant to be so i'm kind of racing towards getting it minimally useful for uh his assistant and i think that's going to be a really useful person and i like that's going to be a paying customer like i'm I'm charging brian for this because it's costing me money i gotta host his videos on, (laughs) on cloud storage yeah um so i think that'll be like and and that's going to be someone who, who needs to run through this entire thing. They need to be uploading videos and uh, clipping them and then rendering the clips and then pushing them out to social media. Like the, the whole, the whole shebang is going to be tested. Um, so yeah, that, that'll be it. And that's the, that's the sort of customer that I want. That's, that's who I'm trying to build this for. Um, so I think that'll be energizing to like have someone actually using the thing. Yeah. That's uh you, you buried the lead on that one like you have a paying customer yeah. or someone who's going to be a paying customer uh, yeah, that's awesome i, guess I do <laughs> yeah that is awesome <laughs> there you go <laughs> about to get uh infinity revenue growth on this nice uh, yeah. yeah yeah just in time to uh include it on my slides for this retreat also which will <laughs> be cool great. infinity revenue yeah. growth awesome exactly <laughs> yeah that's cool that's the lead yeah. i think yeah great. okay yeah, I, I feel so much better about this than i did when i started talking about it yeah <laughs> um, cool uh what else 
past usefulness we talked about the customer chat we talked about uh yeah that's it i i have i've found myself really falling in love with these technical problems that are very like ui based problems of like how do you how do you click and drag a highlighted region of text um mm. i need to have little bars on each side of the highlighted region and then it's like listening to mouse down and mouse drag over events and it's so interesting and it's so different from uh what what i'm usually doing it's just fun building this sort of interface i'm building a video editor in html and react and like uh yeah it's it's cool and it's a video editor unlike editors that i've seen before it's sort of a mix of like descript and traditional timeline based editors and mm. uh yeah it's it's a fun creative challenge uh so i'm enjoying it cool yeah glad you're yeah. enjoying it so that's the first thing clips up marketing uh 16 hours and 20 minutes and then file inbox i worked for three hours and 45 minutes uh in total about 20 hours which uh small side note i don't i still don't understand how people work for like 40 hours a week and uh, <laughs> my friend in med school is working like uh in residency he's had some weeks in residency where he's working like 60 hours like i don't understand <laughs> how do you yeah. how do you keep going um how do you do that for longer than a week uh do i need to be drinking more coffee like what what's going on um but yeah so file inbox uh was I, I i found myself feeling very energized we talked about this before of TikTok development yep i feel energized moving from one to another when i feel stuck on it so like you know after i got the feedback of that the thing that i built for clipstar marketing wasn't quite what uh this early customer wanted i felt sort of dejected in that so i moved right over to file inbox and started working on that and then when i got stuck in that i moved right over back to clipstar marketing and I, I was able to like keep momentum and enthusiasm with both projects um so that felt really good and I did two really cool things on filing boxes last week. The first is uh, Next.js had a new version. I think it's version 13 announced this last week. And one of the cool things you can do along with Vercel, their, their custom hosting platform, is to dynamically generate uh, social media images, uh, the, mm. the OG image meta tag. And that's really cool because what that means is you can take a dynamic link of the person's file upload page or, or whatever else and you can paste that in twitter or in iMessages or on facebook messenger and it comes up with a little picture and that picture can be including dynamic data that came from the actual resource so uh i was able to whip this up in like a couple hours of when you paste in a link for file inbox now the dynamic image for the og image changes to include the title of your page and it says like upload files to this person and that's a feature i've wanted to do for years that yeah. i to do it was going to involve spinning up a puppeteer headless chrome instance and taking a screenshot and with this new feature that just got announced this last week it was trivial you just make a react component and you do this funny voodoo telling Vercel that it's the it's an image social type and what the size is and things um, and then it just worked. You include a link to this OG image and it just makes the image for you. So that was really cool. I, I thought that was fun. Uh, yeah. I, I, you don't you don't use Next. You're mostly still on Rails when you're making yeah. stuff. Okay. Yeah, still on Rails. I, I have used Next before. Um, okay. That was a while ago, though, like several versions ago. Yeah. Do you know what the Rails solution is for dynamically generating OG images? Yeah. Uh, you can i mean you can always you could always have done it yourself uh but yeah you need image generation technique so like on rails mm -hmm. that would be yeah you, you could use like puppeteer or something like that um mm -hmm. you could also use uh, rails has some png generating like things so you can you know if you 
put it together yourself there, there may be a gem that does it um i guess that would be the first place i would look um but as far as i know it's not as super simple as just declaring it as a thing yeah you yeah. have to like be cognizant that you're generating an image and stuff like that yeah okay yeah if you were if you're just using like baseline image magic stuff you could probably get it done what i yeah. loved about this technique with for sale is that you're just making a react component so i was able to copy right. my tailwind classes for the thing that generates my little uh file upload widget and yeah super slick and yeah, also cool. scalable i don't have to think about the server resources yeah do you know how they do it because you have to be generating an image at some point um i assume they're doing something with puppeteer they don't I don't think they publish how they actually do it though. They, that's oh, this is part only of, part if you of the use system. Vercel hosting, right? It's only if you use Vercel hosting. Okay. I think. Yes. Yeah. My guess is they have a React component to image service in their stack. Then uh, probably using so. Puppeteer. Yeah. I was surprised oh. at how fast it was though. Mm -hmm. Even generating dynamic, and then and then subsequent re uh, requests are just using the cached image. So right. yeah, it's it's really slick and global, and Vercel's up to some cool stuff. I, I really like that. Um, that was the first cool thing I did. The second cool thing was I had this experiment where I was advertising on Google AdWords for sending files. And I noticed that it was a lot of countries in the East and Middle East, like India and Bangladesh and Pakistan who were using this. And I had the thought, I bet the file transfers them for them are so slow because mm. I'm using all the Google Cloud servers that are located in the US. And I had this fantasy about how cool it would be if I had buckets that were able to uh, uh, locate uh, the, whatever the closest bucket was to you when you're trying to upload a file. That's the bucket that you use. And I was just chewing on this problem. How do I figure out what the closest bucket is? And I think the last time I talked with you about this, the solution I was going to use was to figure out their time zone. And then whatever their browser time zone would set right. to, I would make a lookup table of like, okay, I have these buckets on these continents. And so let me look if you're if you're in this time zone. Uh, then this is the closest bucket to you. And I thought that was going to be a really good solution because time zones aren't just your UTC offset. It's the region of the world that you're in. It kind of tells you what country you're in. And as I dug into that, <laughs> I didn't realize this. There's like 500 time zones. Yeah. And that's just too many. And I was trying to think, okay, they're, they're sort of segmented by the continent that they're on, but then the Americas are split in two. And I was just getting all in the weeds. And so I thought, what if I just like ping each of the servers that I have and just see oh. what the smallest ping is. So I can't, I, I don't think there's a way to ping in JavaScript, but what I did was just say, I have this test file on each of the buckets. So try to download the file from every bucket at the same time. And whichever one comes in first, that's the closest bucket to you. And I was able to do this in like two hours, the whole thing and, and spinning up a global infrastructure of, of these cloud buckets on every continent, except Antarctica. Uh, and there's some island oh no and africa because there's no surprisingly there's no uh google cloud uh stuff in africa which huh. it was interesting uh but now i have a global infrastructure of file sending stuff for file inbox and well it hasn't been integrated but i, ha I have like the the backbone for it of how i would do it and uh i was surprised when i ran it on my local machine like it returned the correct result that said that the one mm. in the us was the correct one and then the ping time to the server the data center in hong kong was like it, it was like more than 10 times slower mm. than the one in the US. So it's it's significant. And it's I felt really cool too that like, <laughs> I'm deploying this global infrastructure to solve this problem of like locating resources physically closer to the people using them because the earth is big enough and the latency long enough 
that that actually matters and does actually make a difference in the speed that your files are, are uploading. Uh, so I, I thought that was really cool. And I think I just want to hear you say that you think that's cool too. <laughs> uh, that, is, that is really cool. Sometimes yeah. simple solutions are uh, the best. Like, yeah, just get the, uh, not the ping times, but essentially that, yeah. Interesting. Um, I wonder if, uh, so you said Hong Kong, uh, right? Hong Kong? Mm-hmm. Um, are they within the Great Chinese Firewall? Um, because if so, then it wouldn't just be. Uh, oh, interesting. There's a whole cool. thing with Hong Kong where they're, they want to be a separate country and China doesn't want it to be a separate country. And if, if you say Hong Kong should be freed, then you get. That's Taiwan. But yeah. Is it Taiwan? Yeah. That's right. It's Taiwan. I, there's something also with Hong Kong, I thought. I thought so Hong, Hong Kong, Kong was under it. British rule for 99 years um, okay. because that's the longest they could do it without declaring it part of their country or something. And it okay. went back when we were kids. Uh, and so they are sort of separate, but also sort of a part of China. They're, they're, they're part of China, but sort of have their own culture and stuff because they were apart from China for 99 years. Yeah. That's interesting. Huh. There's other servers in that region that I could check. I, I tried to space them out and also not just do every single location. So I did like one in London and, uh, one in South America and, uh, one in Australia and then one in Hong Kong and one in uh, India. And I saw, I, I can see a printout of like the ping times between, between each of them. And it, it made rough sense just based on uh, geography. But I am curious now if I if I made another server that was geographically close to Hong Kong, but politically uh, further away, like Japan, uh, yeah. I, I could do one in Tokyo um, if there's a difference. Yeah, that's that's not something I considered interesting i would just i would just pick the top countries like look at the top countries list and pick those yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so india was was one I, I needed to do for sure um cool if i if i'm gonna support them okay so this this leads me to my next point so okay. i did that that experiment with uh buying the google ad for file sending and was able to get tons of traffic for so cheap uh and i had one of my paying customers email me the day I was leaving for the trip to Los Angeles for Andrew Culver's conference, and he said, hey, it's down. And I was like, oh, no. What I, I don't know what happened, but I think what happened is I've somehow overloaded something in the system that's supposed to be this Firebase infinitely scalable thing. Right. Uh, that's really bad. So let me just turn off the Google ad, and I'll figure it out later. And I turned off the Google ad and went to the conference and came back and had my meeting with Rachel and Rachel was like, Hey, you have another email from this guy. He says, it's still not working. And I was like, Oh no, no, (laughs) this this is, it was broken the whole time. No one told me this is awful. So I tried to tell you (laughs) he did, but he only emailed me twice. He emailed me the first time and I was like, okay, I think I fixed it. And then, and I I emailed him like the next day. And then he emailed me again the day before I got back. And then I had a conversation with Rachel the day, the day that I got back. Um, and then I was able to fix it that day. So from his perspective, I don't feel terrible about this. Right, from yeah. his perspective, like he emailed me and then a day later I emailed back saying, I think I fixed it and it's still broken. And then he emailed me again and then I actually fixed it the day later and I'm like, I'm so sorry. I, I, I'm i putting more checks in place. I need to do right. integration tests to like make sure that, that this is uh, is gonna work. So, but that, that was the situation there. The problem ended up being nothing related to anything of overloading stuff. No. Uh, it was entirely just the, uh, uh, it, it was this other bug that I had fixed of trying to support older browsers. And if you had a newer browser, it turned out that like it, it actually broke it for the newer browsers, but I fixed that. Um, so something interesting that I saw in 
compiling data for this retreat is that I had a whole bunch of signups that were unattributed, like paying users. I think I had, I think I had four paying users mm. um, during like a week and a half, two weeks-ish around when I was doing that Google ad, not attributed to the Google ad. It wasn't someone right. who clicked on the ad and it wasn't someone who uh, like received a file and then um, uh, signed up for an account. I don't know where they came from, but they stopped signing up and paying for it after I stopped the Google ad. And <laughs> I had a really good month last month because I had like those four people sign up and start paying. Mm. But I'm wondering if those were connected in a way that I don't quite understand. My original hypothesis for file sending was like, oh, I'll get people to send files for free. And then the people who are receiving the files, I'll advertise to them to sign up for a receiving file thing. And then they'll sign up and then they might start paying me. Um, and I wasn't able to track that that was actually what was happening, but I'm wondering if that is actually what was happening. So I'm going to turn that ad back on because that's been off since like before I went to <laughs> yeah. this conference uh, and see if that starts up again. But I'm frustrated that I don't know where they came from and that I'm, it feels a lot more hocus pocusy than what I was hoping was going to happen, which was like I could really cleanly track them through, okay, this is the sales funnel and this is how they uh, became a customer. Um, is there, am I, what, how, how else might I be tracking how the different campaigns are working? Yeah. So this might be super, uh, this is, so I'll give you a data, my data point, uh, which is, um, and so this is coming from me who, you know, I understand how the internet works and how caches and cookies and all that stuff work. Mm -hmm. If I'm looking for something sort of casually, I'll like Google around for it. Uh, and I have ad blockers, so actually I wouldn't see your ad, but when I do see ads, uh, I don't click on them. I uh, go to an incognito window in Google for the thing directly. <laughs> if I w so, because I don't want to be tracked, Interesting. and yeah. I don't want to be on lists, yeah. and I don't want to have been registered that I clicked on some weird ad. Yeah. So yeah, so if I see ads and I'm interested, I will Google it directly in an incognito window. Um, that's actually maybe that's great for me if there are people doing that, yeah. but it's also frustrating that I can't track what they were doing. Okay, interesting. <laughs> I've done similar things where like if uh, if I Google for a website name and I see their Google ad and then I see immediately under that their actual site, I'll never click on the ad. I'll right. only click on the site. Um, and I've so, also done things where like I'll like if I if I hear about a product mentioned in a YouTube video, I usually don't click on that link in the description. Yeah. I'll like open a new tab and just search for the thing on Amazon. Um, yep. Okay. Okay. I mean, it could also be just word of mouth but from people who are on the ad. So if people do click on the ad and they sign up and they say, Hey, this is a cool thing. And they, you know, maybe they have, they know a friend who was looking for a file sending. And so they sent it to him. Like that's yeah. how word of mouth works. And so that could also be happening. And if that happens though, yeah. and they, and they send. No, no. I mean like they could just like email their friend and be like, Hey, I know oh. you were looking for a file sending. Here's a URL. And just tell them like the name of the product. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. So, I mean that that's word of mouth. That's how things spread. So that could be happening too. Yeah. Okay. Interesting okay i think i have to go a lot more with my gut then than, than i was hoping like just do these things make intuitive sense um yeah. did i talk with you about the the conversation i had with the google ads specialist did we talk uh, about i don't think so week? no okay Th this is a conversation we need to have so i forever have been ignoring these calls that i get from people who say that they're the google ads right. manager or something for this quarter because uh, it feels real spammy. Uh, but I, I had a conversation with someone at Andrew Colver's conference uh, who is doing really well with a uh, app involved in teleprompter software. 
and I asked them what their marketing channels were. And they said, oh, it's entirely Google ads. Uh, I think people really underestimate Google ads. And I was like, really? And they showed me their numbers. And I was like, wow, that's incredible. Uh, and I said, how, how did you do this? Like, what's the thing? And they said, well, you know, those calls you get from the Google ads specialist. I, I talked to them and they actually helped. And I was like, oh, <laughs> maybe, I should, maybe I should talk to this person. Oh, so uh, not, not three days later, I got a call from one of them and uh, I, I, I started off by answering the phone just because I was bored. And I was like, oh, a telemarketer, cool. I'm, I'm going to like mess with them. Uh, so I answered the phone and I was like, hello. And they were like, hello, is this Christian? And I was like, yes. <laughs> and, and they said, I'm your Google Ads specialist. And I was, I, initially I was like, ah, I'm especially going to mess with you. But then I was like, oh, no, 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 no. Remember, there's this experiment. I want to see if they can actually help me. And uh, like an hour and a half later, they had walked me through my entire Google Ads uh, console and oh. helped me like they showed me these different places in the console that I didn't know existed and uh, I didn't realize I had for several campaigns selected maximize clicks instead of maximize conversions even mm -hmm. though I had all the conversions set up and there were all these other esoteric things of like oh do this and, and smooth this out and do this other thing um, and the very last thing they said was like okay so we've made all these changes uh, I think it would be good for you to increase your budget a little bit and I was like ah here we go uh, but it wasn't by that much. I yeah. think they, I, I was, I had it set to a maximum of like $10 a day and they said, ah, how about, how about like $17 a day? And I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. Um, and that ad has done nothing, uh, <laughs> oh, really? in terms of revenue, which yeah. is interesting. So the, the ad that they had me focus on was, uh, for terms involved in Google drive file requests, which I would think would be really heavily, strongly aligned with people who, who want to use file inbox. Um, if you're searching for a Google Drive file request. That's not a thing that exists, but your intent is to make a file request for Google Drive, the thing that you can receive files. I did have a lot of signups. I think I had like 30 people sign up, but none of them converted to paying. And I, I think, I want your take on this, but I, I think the thing to do is shut down that ad and shut down all the other Google ads that haven't done anything and try just doing the file sending ad because I know at least I can get a lot of users really cheaply on that. And there may have been some correlation between people who were sending files and people who were signing up for the paid accounts. Uh, but I, I feel frustrated that I can't quite connect those two things together. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so first thought is you said it did nothing, but it led to 30 signups who didn't convert to paying users. Right. Uh, so that tells me it did do something and that the people clicking on the ad weren't people who wanted your product. So they something signed up though. Well, sometimes you got to sign up to f figure out if you want it or not. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, maybe there's just low intent or maybe I'm not doing a great job of like showing them that file inbox is actually a Google drive file request thing. And, and they weren't able to actually, now that I'm thinking about that, that the flow of someone who would click on that ad, I think immediately like they want to know that, they are signing up for for uh, Google Drive and they're linking Google Drive. And I kind of dump them into this like they're receiving the file over email thing. Yeah. So yeah, if, if you have, a, you know, yeah, you, you know if they clicked on the ad. And so yeah. if they did, then yeah, I would make their onboarding flow all about Google Drive then. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. And make sure they like link Google Drive as they're signing up. Okay. Yeah. Um, now, until you do that, sure, go ahead and turn off the ad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah. as something to work on in the background, change the onboarding flow. And then once the onboarding flow is different, then yeah, turn the ad back on. Um, at which point you will have more data about just your file sending ad. Yeah. So I think that's a fine way to do it. Turn off all your ads except file sending. Yeah. In the background, work on this Google Drive onboarding thing. Yeah. 
then turn it back on. Okay. This this is interesting because I'm now thinking about every ad that I have experimented with on Google Ads. And to maximize those, I think I really need to be thinking about, okay, put myself in the headspace of this person. They just Googled Google Drive file request and they see my ad. Is this aligning with the thing that they're trying to do? Okay. Yes, it is. They would click on it. Okay. What happens next? They're on this page that says Google Drive file request. Okay. We're good so far. Now they want to get that job done as quickly as possible and they're drunk. What are they going <laughs> to yep. do? They're, they're just trying to click on the biggest, greenest button. Can they get as quickly to solving their problem? Um, and I think right now the answer is clearly not. And there's no reason why that should be clearly not. That should just be by that I, I solve their problem for them as quickly as possible. Okay. Yep. Cool. Cool. Okay, that feels good. There's, there's stuff I can push in there. Um, third and final thing, the retreat that I'll leave for on Wednesday. We, uh, most of the people going have already uploaded their slides and that's been really interesting looking at what these other people are working on because some of them are making so much money, Chris. <laughs> oh, some of them have 20 employees. <laughs> it's, yeah. I'm just looking at this like, th I'm, I'm really excited because it's a room full of people who like have done the thing that I want to do. Uh, and a few of them who are like around the same stage that I'm at, but I, I do feel kind of like I'm the least qualified person in this room, which feels really good. Like that's, yeah. that's who you want to learn from. Um, and I put a lot of work into my slides of including like the, the story file inbox and telling that in a compelling way, like we talked about last week and, um, showing all my numbers of like where I am and, and what the conversion rates are and, and, uh, MRR and everything else. And, uh, my plan is to just like write down every i think i'm going to record it actually and and like everything that every person suggests i'm gonna i'm gonna capture it um and then hopefully that'll set my path of what the work is that i need to be doing to get to that 20k mrr yeah um i was gonna ask if you're allowed to record it first and then second is if you record it like you might want to but uh you might get different answers or people mm. might be less um, upfront about things if they know they're mm. being recorded. So just be careful of that. Um, like if, if someone wants to share a very unique personal story with numbers, they might not yeah, do yeah. it if they're being recorded. So, oh, that's fair. Okay, maybe I'll just take really good notes then. I'll ask also, I'll ask the, the mm. organizer. Um, cool. Um, yeah, but it's, I, I think it's gonna be the, the sort of thing of just smoothing onboard. Oh, I didn't realize my, my trial to paid rate was really, really low over the last six months. It's like, it's like two and a half percent trial to paid. Mm. And that feels really low. That feels low, right? Trial to paid should be a lot higher than that. So this is very interesting because you remember we had Johnny Tong on and he was complaining about almost the same numbers. Uh, I, if I recall his trial to paid was in the single digit uh, yeah. percentage. Um, so that's interesting. That's a data point that you both, uh, are complaining about the same thing uh, I, d I don't know <laughs> okay <laughs> it felt much lower to see it that it was my number than, yeah. than when it was johnny's number yeah um but it, it like i am curious about what the highest yield work that i can be doing is if it is increasing top of funnel which is what i've been focused on with this marketing stuff or if it's increasing trial to paid if, it, if it's actually just that like i don't have a smooth enough onboarding process that people can feel like they're going to get value delivered quickly yeah i'm not sure um something to bring up i would yeah at the at the conference yeah cool cool i also have some uh 
questions like you suggested of like if there's a lull in conversation i've got slides i can jump to to nice. uh pose questions and then i I'm, I'm making the majority of the presentation just about file inbox and then i have a slide of like also i'm working on all of these other things yeah. uh most of which are a distraction but there's this one that i think is especially promising clips to marketing and i have a little spiel on clips to marketing and uh part of uploading the slides early is that people can go in and comment on them so i've already gotten interesting useful feedback of like uh someone commented that my uh my onboarding page is terrible and i need to uh <laughs> or that the landing page specifically and i need to uh to make better landing pages like fair enough for, dude yeah that's for, right for clips that marketing for file inbox for file inbox yeah oh, okay and, yeah. and it came from someone currently making uh sixty thousand dollars a month so like yeah that's that's probably that's probably yeah, yeah. something i did that yeah i would follow um, up and say do you have a good person i could talk to who knows about landing pages or something you know like i mean yeah yeah, yeah yeah i don't know how to do that i think you like hire a designer or something i don't know how to make like a really good landing page yeah i would be careful about hiring a designer i would hire someone focused on landing pages for SaaS. like okay. uh, designer is not necessarily who you want you want more like a ux person who's focused on high converting landing pages for SaaS. uh yeah. they exist and so yeah i would try to be specific because if you just hire a generic designer they'll hire something they'll, they'll make something that looks nice probably but yeah it may not convert any better. Like, like sometimes the, the worst designed pages are the ones that convert the best. Right. So you want someone who knows about conversions, not about uh, design. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll ask this person specifically, like, do I, does it just need to look prettier or do I need to do something deeper? And is there a person you'd recommend for me to hire? A cool thing about this retreat is like, I'm just going to be hanging out with these people for like a week. Like I have my hour where I'm, it's yeah. dedicated, focused on me where I'm presenting and, and, uh, uh asking questions but then you know we're gonna like watch a movie and like go on a walk and yeah, <laughs> yeah so I'll, I'll have a lot of opportunity to to pick people's brains on like specifically what i need to be doing yeah. um i'm really curious to see the conversations that happen between these high level people of like you know there's people running these multi-million dollar a year businesses like yeah. that, that have posted slides of problems that they have that they're that they're interested in and there's other people in the room who like are also running businesses at that scale that are going to be asking them or, or, or like recommending uh things to them of, of what to improve so yeah it's i haven't been this excited about this sort of thing in a while i think uh, i used to be this excited about microconf but i think i uh am not anymore because it has become more of a known quantity i mm. i roughly know who i'm going to see in microconf and who i'm going to be right. interacting with and my the sorts of takeaways that i'm going to get and, uh there's not as many things that i don't know i don't know in SAS, but this does feel like there's something here that these people are doing that's different than what i'm doing that uh is leading to to much higher mrr and uh if i just pay attention i can i can get there too cool well i am excited for you and excited to hear a bunch of uh juicy tidbits of information that come out of it it's it's coming coming soon chris that's all i got that's all i got to do then i'll see you next week goodbye